Doors to the Quarterly Reset are officially open. The Quarterly Reset is a virtual quarterly planning workshop for service providers who want to enter Q2 and summer with strategy and intention, pursuing your business goals while also prioritizing time with your family and friends. And that balance doesn't happen by accident. In this five-day strategy intensive, you'll get step-by-step trainings for breaking down your business goals, adopting less but better marketing strategies, scheduling time for the things that matter most in your business and your life, and creating a clear step-by-step plan for making big progress on your goals over the next 90 days. You'll also get unlimited five-day access to one-on-one coaching from me because I don't believe in copy and paste business strategies to help you create a customized strategy and plan based on your unique goals and business. Join me inside the Quarterly Reset at www.jadeboyd.co backslash quarterly reset and get my step-by-step blueprint for planning your best quarter in business. I'm limiting this round to only 10 people, so don't wait to grab your seat. Plus, if you join before Friday, March 15th, you'll also get free access to my printable quarterly wall calendars to make your Q2 planning that much easier. Again, visit www.jadeboyd.co backslash quarterly reset to learn more and join today. You know, like you've already got the content. So I would just say, try it. Um, You know, we've got slow season coming up and you might as well start making money off of those things that are just sitting there on your hard drive collecting dust. Welcome to the Business Minimalist Podcast, a podcast about redefining productivity for the modern woman in business and finding ways to work smarter, not harder, in business and life. I'm your host, Jade Boyd. I'm an MBA, business strategist, and mentor who helps overwhelmed business owners simplify and scale their service-based businesses with strategy and systems. On this podcast, we'll explore simple ways to earn more while working less. If you're ready to scale your business, bring order to chaos, ditch the busy work, and make space for what really matters, you've come to the right place. Welcome to the Business Minimalist Podcast. Welcome to the podcast, Aubrey. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to get into our conversation today. Why don't we start by uh, doing a little intro and sharing a little bit about how you got into the world of entrepreneurship and what you do today. All right. So this is going to be a little bit of a long intro. That's totally fine. (laughs) But I, yeah, I started as an entrepreneur now about, let's see, probably 11 years ago. Um, I had a, I had, you know, a salary job for like three months after college and realized that I did not like, like being an employee. (laughs) It was probably like, in a way, the perfect job to start with because it was really challenging and kind of like pushed me to want to create my own business really quickly. Um, And I'm actually now very grateful that that happened to me. So the first business that I started was actually an Etsy wedding invitation shop. And I got pretty lucky on Etsy. It kind of took off within the first couple months. And Etsy featured me, you know, in there. They send out these email newsletters and they have like their front page features. And so they ended up featuring a couple of my products like really early on. And that just kind of gave me a steady stream of customers. And so I was able to quit that terrible job pretty quickly. (laughs) Um, And so that's how I kind of got into the wedding world um, with my graphic design background. But I quickly started um, becoming more interested in wedding photography as well. 
So probably like a year, year and a half into my first business, I added on the wedding photography branch. And my husband and I at the time, we actually decided to take a chance and move down to Southern California where there were more weddings happening year round because I'm from Idaho. (laughs) And Idaho is not um, a huge wedding industry. So we moved to Southern California and actually built up our wedding photography business pretty quickly um, and still did the wedding invitations on the side. Eventually, we turned that into my first passive income stream because we took those invitations and made them digital. So on Etsy, there's a way you can sell digital downloads and there's like no work involved, which is amazing. (laughs) And then a few, let's say probably five years into the wedding photography business, I started doing stock photography and it was just pretty slow at first. Like I would use the off season and upload whatever photos that I had um, lying around, you know, just like went through my year of photos and cleaned off my hard drives and got them all uploaded. And probably within the first six months, I started making about $500 a month from it. And the more time that I put in and growing my portfolio, the more that income grew. So that is now kind of what I teach is stock photography and other passive income streams to fellow creative entrepreneurs and business owners. And I also do some coaching and consulting for them in their businesses. We kind of uh, pick it apart and see where they could possibly add more income streams or build passive income streams. Um, but yeah, that's kind of my my story in a nutshell. And I'm actually no longer doing wedding photography. I'm just doing the educational and coaching side of my business now. This is so good. And I already have so many questions for you. <laughs> Great. Let's go. Let's start with when you, the first time that you uploaded stock photography, where did you get that idea? What sparked the idea of, oh, I should be making money off of some of these photos on my hard drive? Well, thankfully, I was actually reached out to by a stock agency. Um, their, Their name is Offset, and they are basically like the premium agency side of Shutterstock. Most people have heard of Shutterstock. That's like probably the biggest stock agency. So they wanted to create this offshoot um, with like all professional photographers and just sort of bring in like a younger, fresher vibe, I think, to their portfolio. So they had just been reaching out to photographers and luckily I was one of them and they invited me to apply and start submitting work. And I did, but like at first I thought it was like kind of weird. I was like, what is this? Is this like a scam? Like I like most people knew nothing about stock photography. So I was pretty slow to get started. But when I made my first sale, it was a picture of my dog and I made like $150 from that first sale. And so that's when I was like, I was like, okay, I'm motivated to work harder at this. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so was it a bunch of personal photos that you uploaded that first time or were you also using your wedding photography? I used both um, and something we'll probably talk about is like what you need in order to submit photos. So you do need a model release signed by whoever's in the photos 
And you can't just use like the model release you have in your contract. It has to be specifically for stock. So if I, you know, if I felt like I could ask someone to sign a model release, like friends or family, that's kind of where I started. And so I did kind of start uploading more of my personal work, but you know, as I got that uploaded, I went on to looking through like wedding galleries and client galleries and reaching out to some of those people that I felt comfortable asking a model release for. And, um, and even like the weddings where I didn't have model releases, there are so many other things that you shoot during a wedding day that you can use, you know, like the table settings and things like that. Um, flowers, scenery, all that stuff. So I did have plenty of work even from like the jobs where I didn't have model releases that I was able to go through and upload photos from. So looking at the journey in stock photography, that's how you started. But what does that look like for you today? Are you doing different types of photography specifically for stock? Yeah, I rarely do client work anymore. I'll do some family photos here and there. But like right now, I have five shoots planned that are like Christmas themed. Oh, fun. And I've already got my tree up and I'm, I've been like taking photos of my daughter in front of the tree and stuff like that. So um, yeah, these days I will work with like business owners. I will take photos for free in exchange for model releases or I'll just like plan my own shoots or take photos of my family and friends, things like that. So um, it's really, it's pretty fun because I just basically get to shoot whatever I want and know that eventually I'll get paid for it. So leading up to this interview, I started following you on Instagram and you give some great tips for getting stock photo ideas and you share all the tips mm -hmm. knowing like, what do you shoot this season? Obviously Christmas is a big one, but where do you find those ideas and how do you know what is going to be in demand when it comes to stock photography? A lot of it is just what I've learned over the past six or seven years of shooting and selling. Um, you know, every commercial holiday is going to be big for stock photography as well because everyone's creating their, their ads and they're buying images for posts and things like that. So I always know like holidays are a big one. I've learned that families are big, technology, anything having to do with like work or businesses, um, the whole like wellness, um, the world of wellness, which would be like massage and yoga and all those different things are always big. Um, and then I just like a lot of the agencies, they will also put out like calls for content. Mm. So I always keep track of that as well and kind of see like what they are recommending because sometimes, you know, they have, they know what their customers are asking for. So they will usually put that out to the contributors so that, you know, hopefully you'll be submitting what they can sell more of. So when you were first getting started looking at stock of stock photography agencies, especially if you're not familiar with the lingo, it can get super confusing and overwhelming really quickly. So what are your best tips for navigating where to sell your photos? What's the best option and how do you know what the right option is for you as a photographer? Um, it can be really confusing and tricky to navigate. And I actually spent months 
um, researching every stock agency I could think of. And I compiled them into a guide that's free and you can find it on my website. It's called The Little Black Book of Stock Photo Agencies. And I just wanted to put that together because I really feel like, you know, there's not one best agency or perfect agency, but there is like a great agency for for you and the style of photography and maybe what your goals are and how you're motivated. So I wanted to like compile that all into a guide for people to kind of help them come up with a decision Um, because they're like, they're really, you know, you can, a lot of people know, like, or they've heard the, the idea that, you know, you'll only make pennies from stock photography And that can be true on a specific type of agency. They're called micro stock agencies. Um, But the thing is, you'll sell a lot more photos on agencies like that. Um, One of mine is I work with Adobe stock. And at first it was kind of like that. But the more I sold photos on there, the more... um, the more they would sell there, they they would like become more valuable over time. Um, And I make sales on Adobe stock every day. But then there's agencies like Offset where you'll make closer to maybe $150, $200 per sale, but you're not going to make as many sales as you would on an agency like Adobe Stock. So (laughs) there's just like, they can vary so much. And, you know, a lot of it depends on the style of photography you have, or, you know, if you're really motivated by sales, or if you can just keep up with the work without having to make like really big, big sales on a, on an agency like offset. So, so on those sales that are 150 to $200, is that an exclusive license where you can only sell the photo one time or can you still sell that photo multiple times? No, you can sell it over and over again. Okay. Interesting. So it just depends on the photo, I guess. What makes photos worth pennies versus $150? Well, so for example, on an agency like Offset, they are more exclusive. They're not going to be attracting just anybody. Like not everyone has that sort of um, budget for their marketing, but big, you know, larger businesses and magazines, they do. And they're also looking for images that are fresh and that fit their style and they don't want to purchase images that you're going to see all over the internet, right? Because those images that sell, um, you know, for less than a dollar, they're much more accessible to everyone. So you might see the same image, you know, on multiple people's um, websites or they might, multiple people might use it on social media. So they're looking for the more exclusive images that, um, have already been curated. So that's another thing about agencies like Offset or Stock C. They're very highly curated. That makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. So the platform that you sell on makes a huge difference. Exactly. So other than stock photo agencies, there's also the option to create your own stock photo bundles and sell it on a platform like Etsy or a creative mm-hmm. market or even to sell to a stock photo subscription like Social Squares. Or I mentioned to you before we started recording that I sold a stock photo bundle to Hot Stock, H-A-U-T-E. I'll link that in the show notes last year. Mm-hmm. What do you recommend in terms of 
starting out in stock photography? Is it best to start selling through agencies or do you ever work with photographers to sell through those other mediums? Or is there anything that I left out there too? (laughs) Um, I actually haven't done a lot of selling on my own because one of the things I love so much about stock photography is that it's so passive. Um, You can like, that might be a great way to get into it. Selling a bundle like you did, where it's like, if you need money right away, that's a great way to go. Um, but I believe that you only get paid up front, correct? Yeah. Yep. Like you don't continue to get any royalties from those sales and they might sell the same photo for 10 years. So you do miss out on income opportunity that way. Um, but if you're just looking to like make some quick money, that's a great way to go. Uh, but I, I like to focus more on the larger agencies just because they do have so many customers and they get so much traffic every day that I feel like there's just a larger opportunity to make money on those sites for longer. Um, but like the, the sites you mentioned, they're more niche and they do appeal to a very specific audience. So, I mean, again, it just kind of depends on what kind of photography you have and if you fit on a site like that. Because I would imagine that they are pretty picky and exclusive with the photographers they work with, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, um, definitely. And when I was doing it, it was when I was still exploring different type of photography and Mm -hmm. trying things to see what I liked. And to do it that way, selling to somebody else, they deal with all of the marketing and the legal stuff. I didn't have to buy any expensive contract templates or learn the legal implications. I just sold them and, you know, they take care of all the nitty gritty. So it was a great opportunity for me to try it. And I think it was a good way to see if I liked it or not. But you're right. You get paid once and that opportunity for passive income doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And I think there are people out there where that works for you. Like if you, if you have a really slow month and you just need to make enough money to pay your bills, like that's a great option. That's a great side hustle. Uh, But you're going to have to continue taking more photos every time you want to sell them. Right. Yep. Yeah. So when it comes to working with stock photo agencies, like you mentioned, some of them can be really exclusive in terms of the photographers they work with. And Mm -hmm. it sounds like they reached out to you, but do you have any tips for photographers who want to get their foot in the door? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Let me think of where to start. First of all, if you get rejected from a stock agency, don't take it too hard because sometimes they are looking to add something really specific to their collection. And, you know, say you're a travel photographer, you know, maybe they've just gotten a bunch of applications from travel photographers and they feel like they have to slow down on accepting that type of work. But, you know, maybe at the time they're looking for something more specific, like a certain style of studio photography. So, I've seen that happen a lot and people just kind of get down on themselves because they think like, oh, I'm not good enough to be a stock photographer, Mm -hmm. but it's absolutely not true. And you can actually apply again later on down the road and get accepted. So (laughs) you can also, you know, ask for feedback if that happens to you. Um, Sorry, I actually forgot your initial question. you mind repeating it? No, you're totally fine. Yeah. Um, I asked how to get your foot in the door when it comes to the stock photo agencies, but I think the point that oh, you yes. just said was so needed <laughs> because 
Yeah, I can absolutely see creatives getting disappointed if their work is rejected Mm -hmm. in that way, especially if they're trying to do something new for the first time. Yeah, and maybe you see your peers on the same site, and so you're comparing yourself, but it really has nothing to do with that. Um, So another thing, you know, look through their, their homepage, look through their collections and see what they're featuring. That might be that might give you a clue to the type of work they want to see. Um, there's only a handful of agencies where you have to actually submit a portfolio or an example of your work to apply. There are a lot of agencies where you can just sign up and automatically start submitting your work. So again, all that information is in my little black book. Uh, but yeah, for the ones like stock scene offset where I know you have to submit a portfolio, look through look through their sites and see maybe what the type of work they want to sell and put together a little portfolio or gallery of like your work that you think would be great for their site. Because often they'll go look at your website and you're only sharing one type of photos, right? Like maybe you're only sharing your wedding work, but it doesn't mean you don't have a full collection of other type of work that would be perfect for stock. So I always tell my um, my students, like, put together just any sort of gallery with, like, examples of the different type of work that you can do just to kind of show off what you're capable of, maybe like 75 to 100 images and call it down to your favorites. And then that's what you can attach to your portfolio or your um, your application, your submission, along with your website. When it comes to photography style in stock photography, are there certain editing styles that are more successful in stock photo agencies? The more minimal post-processing you do, the better. Um, like if, if you're using sort of like trendy filters or things that are, you know, really, really in style right now, but in three years, they're going to be out of style. Like I would avoid all of that because you want your photos to live on and be able to uh, make sales for years to come. Like, you know, think like 10 years down the road, is this, are people still going to want this style? So I'll do like some color correcting, you know, but I don't do like a ton of post-processing on my stock photos. I just try to keep it really clean and like the colors true to life, that sort of thing. Um, Make sure you're not adding any grain, make sure that they're, as crisp as possible um, and in focus. Those are the things that the editors like to see. And you mentioned when it comes to taking photos, of course, if you're photographing people, you need to have their permission to sell those photos. But what are some of the other limitations that you've come across, especially when it comes to like locations? Yes. So you want to avoid things like murals, paintings, logos, signage with logos, all those things, because you do need. I didn't even think about that. (laughs) Yeah. So you get good at like, you know, telling people like, don't wear any logos on your clothing, um, avoiding, you know, signage and things like that, because you do, you would need a property release signed by the person who, you know, painted the mural, the artist. Um, It's pretty much the same across the board with all art. Um. Things like intellectual property you want to avoid. And um, the other thing is private property. (laughs) But it's kind of like, 
it can be a gray area. So if you're like shooting a picture from the street of like people's houses, that's fine because like you're, you're shooting in a public place. Like if you're shooting from the sidewalk, it's fine. But if you are inside their home and there's something, you know, that makes it, that would be, um, you know, identifiable as their home, then you'll have to get a property release signed. So things like their house number? Well, things like, for example, you know, just you right now, I can see like your furniture behind you and some pictures on the wall. Like I would have to have a property release signed by you for your home because there are things that make it identifiable as your home. But if like, say we're just shooting against a blank white wall in your home, or maybe just like a sofa against a white wall, like that's not super identifiable. So I wouldn't, I probably wouldn't need a property release signed for something like that. Mm -hmm. And that's where I say like, it can be a gray area, but it's only with private property. And then, of course, this was a big topic last year, but shooting in public places like national parks is also taboo unless you have a permit, right? Well, yeah, that's another great area because obviously if you're shooting with clients in a national park, like that's the sort of thing you need a permit for. But if you're just there taking personal photos that later you decide to submit as stock photos, like that's okay. Interesting. Does that vary by park? Yeah. And it is, you know, national parks are public. So they're not private property. They're not considered private property. And actually, if you just Google um, Shutterstock known image restrictions, just Google that. And there is a page on Shutterstock where they actually list all the places they're not allowed in stock photography. So if you're like going on vacation and you have a question, just look at that, the page they have, they have a resource for that. They have one that's like in America and one that's worldwide. um, And they, they'll talk about like all the really specific things that you can't have in stock photos. So that's a great resource if you ever have questions about a specific place. So while you're in California, and I just got back from California this fall, and I did take some great photos at places like Big Sur and Monterey Bay. So those, Mm -hmm. even though they're state parks, and technically you can apply for a commercial permit, you can sell stock photos from those places? Yes, you can. You just opened up a whole new world for me. (laughs) Disney is off limits. Anything Disney, you know, because it's all trademarked. Um, So, you know, people go to Disneyland and they're like, oh, man, I can't use these. And then like the San Diego Zoo is another place that's off limits because it's, you know, like a private business. So think about it, you know, if if it's a place that you would pay an admission fee, it's probably going to be off limits. So do you just carry your camera with you everywhere <laughs> you go then? Are you constantly Pretty taking much. photos? <laughs> yeah, I, I recently upgraded my iPhone too so that I could use that and take great photos, you know, wherever I am. I didn't even think about that. So you can sell iPhone photos too. And video. And actually that's another like hot, um, that's another like really popular, what would I say, like category right now, especially like vertical video shot on your phone. Yeah. Because people are buying it to use for like reels and TikToks and like businesses that don't, you know, make their own content will go in and buy 
those vertical video um, video clips. Wow. Yep. <laughs> so there is so much opportunity, obviously, when it comes to stock photos and videos. And we talked a lot about getting into it. But let's talk about some of the benefits, both that you've seen. You mentioned the financial benefits, but what doors mm-hmm. does this open for creatives? I actually have a friend, a photographer who started in stock photography. Like he started his career just taking photos for an agency. And now he's been hired by multiple, you know, commercial clients like Sony and Disney and all these clients that, you know, they may have found some of his images and then he, they just go directly to him and hire him. So that can be one benefit. Um, and again, like, like financial benefits are incredible. Um, And just the fact that I just feel like it kind of gives you so much freedom with like your creativity. And like I said, I just plan my own shoots and kind of shoot what I want to shoot. So if you feel like you're kind of, you know, getting tired of shooting the same thing over and over again, whether you're in weddings or family photography or branding photography, like it just opens up more possibilities when it comes to photography and being able to be more creative and shoot the things you want to shoot. Yeah, absolutely. I noticed in my day-to-day life, I obviously don't haul around my camera every time like my husband and I go out or anything, but right. when I when I travel, I do. I take a smaller mm-hmm. camera bag and it does just open up your eyes the way that you see things when you're carrying a camera and the way that you shoot things. It does just expand your creative ability, stretching yourself by shooting different lighting in different locations. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And travel is a great opportunity to shoot stock because you're just like you're more inspired. You're in a new place. I just feel like, yeah, every time I'm traveling, I'm like taking all these stock photos because it's just like I'm out of my, you know, normal routine. So when it comes to photography, this is something I noticed as a brand photographer. I worked with a lot of personal brands, so it makes sense that people were in the majority of my photos and photos with people (laughs) do get more engagement when it comes to social media. So when you're out shooting stock, are you looking for people to be in your photos or do you use yourself as, you know, the little prop to be in your photo or do you shoot a lot of photos without people at all? I try to find models to work with. When I say models, it can just be like your family members too. Um, But if I'm like planning a a shoot where, you know, it makes sense to have people in the photos, I try to plan ahead and like have someone to shoot with. Um, But then there are even tricks like just, you know, if you're, if you're taking a photo of like your coffee or something, like put your hand in that photo, like hold on to the coffee or ask someone to hold on to the coffee for you. Just like adding that element of like a human into your photos does make it more valuable. And I'll do that a lot when I'm doing like food shoots or something without like a person in it. I'll just like put my own hands in there in the photos or like get in there myself and <laughs> do some get in an awkward portraiture. <laughs> Right. Got your hand in there. Yes, I've definitely been there. Set on the timer. (laughs) So for stock photographers or photographers who want to get into stock photography, let's say, what income can they expect to be making? If they really put their best effort forward, what is the real earning potential within that first year or two? Yeah. Well, first of all, I always tell people 
try to build your photo your portfolio to at least a thousand images before you expect income or consistent income. Um, because often I just see people give up too soon and it really is a numbers game with stock photography. But I think once I got around that, you know, um, thousand image mark in my portfolio, I started making like 500 to a thousand dollars a month. And obviously like it also depends on the type of work in your portfolio, but, um, you know, that same friend who went on to get commercial jobs, he makes like six to 8,000 every month. Wow. Um, and I think he has like a 3000 image portfolio. So, and that's like, that's really like attainable. It's not, it's really not that many photos to upload. So yeah, I mean, if, if you just, if you can really focus on this, it could actually replace your income if you wanted it to. Yeah. For the average photographer, they're absolutely shooting more than 3000 photos, like in a day if you're (laughs) shooting a wedding sometimes, but delivering more than 3000 sometimes every month in busy season. Yeah. Yeah. And, but the hard work does come in when you're submitting them to your agency, because with offset, I might get half of my submission rejected. They they can be really picky Um, on an agency like Adobe stock or Shutterstock, not as much. Um, But again, like they're the agencies where you won't get paid as much per sale. So it does take some work after the fact. But if you're willing to just sit there and submit your work or hire someone to do it for you, I actually have my brother working for me right now submitting (laughs) to my stock agencies for me. So there are, you know, little workflow hacks as well. On that. What are your best tips for submitting photos? Because I know keywording and how you submit the words that you use and what you tag makes such a huge difference Mm -hmm. in the discoverability for photos. What are your best tips there? There's a website called mykeyworder.com and that is really helpful for thinking of keywords. Um, And you can actually like type in one word and it will give you like the top 50 keywords already checked for you. Um, and I also like to, I do my keywording in Lightroom so that it's like embedded in the photo. So that way, like I actually work with multiple agencies now, so I will upload the same photo to multiple agencies and it's nice that it's, the keywords are already embedded because then once I upload them, they're already there and I don't have to type them in like separately in each agency's website. Um, there are some good tools like If you're just using one agency, you might just want to upload the photos and keyword on their website, and that can be helpful as well. But if you're planning to submit to multiple agencies, I would definitely do the keywording in Lightroom before you export your photos. So when it comes to agencies, there's also a difference between agencies who do have that exclusive license where you can only list through them versus agencies, like you mentioned, that you can list the same photo in multiple agencies and that's totally fine. Do you only work with the latter? So I'm lucky because I do have a um, non-exclusive contract with Offset. Some people do have an exclusive contract with Offset, so then they're not allowed to submit the same photos to multiple places. (laughs) But um, to those people, I would say, like, if you end up getting, you know, certain photos rejected from Offset and 
they're not the same as, as the photos that they accepted, then I would just resubmit them. Like I would have a secondary agency that you submit those photos to. For the photographer who's listening to this and is thinking, oh my goodness, this sounds like way too much work. What would you say to them? <laughs> I would just set smaller goals. You know, it's it's not something that you can do in a month. It's something that will take, you know, maybe six months. So set a monthly goal, set a day aside every month to work on this um, little by little. That's how that's how this can really grow. And, you know, try not to get yourself burnt out too quickly. So that's why I say like set little goals, maybe, you know, maybe you can submit one collection a month or 100 photos a month or something like that. And that will help you, I think, is like having those goals. And as well as like that 1000 image mark in your portfolio, that's, I feel like that's a good goal for like six months or for a year. So we've spent a lot of time talking about stock photography, <laughs> but you also teach on other types of passive income. So can you share a little bit about your pillars of passive income? Yeah. So there's three pillars. The first one obviously being your content. So your photos and video and even illustrations and that all can fall under stock. Um, so that would be monetizing your content. But the second thing you can do is monetize the tools that you have. So any tools that you've created to help you in your business, to help, you know, even like with your, um, with whatever you're creating, you know, some people will create their own brushes to use in Photoshop or um, they've created, you know, email templates, Canva templates, things like that. Um, even, you know, like the photo presets and LUTs for videos, like all those things that you've created that you use yourself can be monetized. Um, and there are like so many ways to do that. So many options. If you just go on to creative market and look around, that's a really good place to, um, to get ideas and see what kind of tools people are selling. It's also a great, um, site to work with because you can, um, you have their traffic that they're bringing in. So you don't really have to worry about like <laughs> marketing it on Instagram or, you know, you can just use that and Pinterest together. So that's the second pillar. And then the third pillar would be monetizing your knowledge. So this could come in the form of courses, workbooks, podcasts, guides, that sort of thing. Um, this does take more time to create and implement. And usually it's probably the least passive because like, you know, for me, I have a course, Stock Photography Academy, and most of what I do is market that course. So even though it's already created and I do go live one call a month, like there's still work that goes into marketing it. So it's not completely completely passive. Then the third pillar would be monetizing your knowledge. And this comes in the form of courses, workbooks, podcasts, guides. And I would say this is the least passive of the three pillars, just because it does require a bit more marketing and time, you know, spent developing and yeah, like maintaining, like if you have a course, you obviously you have to kind of maintain it and, interact with your students however you do. But this is also, I would probably say, the most lucrative as well. Um, but yeah, any of those, any of the knowledge that you've acquired, you know, about just just about anything, you could create a course or 
guide for. When you're working with clients who are looking to create their first passive income stream, what are some of the roadblocks that they need to get over before they start doing something different like this in their business? Um, good question. I mean, it does take time to build passive income streams. And, you know, a lot of times they'll come to me with like multiple ideas, and we just kind of have to focus on one at a time. And, you know, maybe, maybe you can do stock photography and develop a course at the same time. But it's going to be, I think, a little bit more motivating and successful if you can just focus on one thing at a time and like, give yourself the time to really develop a great product. Um, if it's, you know, if it's not stock photography um, and think about, you know, maybe do do some market research and kind of validate that thing before you go all in on it, um, on creating it. Because like with passive income, you want something to live on. You, you don't want it to just be, you know, something that's only valuable for like, say one year, yeah. um, you know, people that create things for like reels or TikTok, like those, those trends eat, like change very quickly. And so those things are a little less passive because you can, you have to constantly be updating them. And even like for me with my stock photo course, like things are constantly changing. So like I'm about to go and spend a whole month, like updating things and adding new information, you know, so that it's still relevant for my students because yeah, like new development developments are always happening in the world of stock photography. So Yeah. (laughs) I love that. And I think it drives really well with the mission of this podcast and working smarter, not harder. Because like you said, Mm -hmm. it's so important to start with where you're at. And there are so many things the people who are listening, I'm sure, have so many assets on their hard drives, like photos, like templates, Mm -hmm. like email templates or Canva graphics that they have created for their own business that other people also would highly value and pay for. And when it comes to marketing those things, there's, I think there's this expectation that you need to do something new in order to grow revenue mm-hmm. in your business. That's definitely not the case. And so what you said about starting with what you have before you move on to the third one, which is education, which does it does require a lot more time to just make that first dollar when it comes to passive income, starting with it what does. you have. <laughs> right. And if you're, if you don't love marketing, like I would probably, you know, just focus on the first two where you can use these marketplaces that are already available to you that are bringing the traffic so that you don't have to worry about the marketing side of things. Is there any last words of advice that you want to leave our listeners with? (laughs) Um, I think that this is just such an amazing passive income stream. If you're a photographer, I would definitely encourage you to download my little black book, look into agencies and just get started with what you already have because, you know, like what's the worst that you that could happen? You know, maybe you make enough money to pay one bill every month or to support your Starbucks addiction or, (laughs) you know, like you've already got the content. So I would just say, try it. Um, You know, we've got slow season coming up and you might as well start making money off of those things that are just sitting there on your hard drive collecting dust, right? 
Yes, absolutely. So I want you to share where we can find you after the show. But quickly, one question popped into my mind and now I have to ask it because I'm so (laughs) curious. Is there a photo, like a favorite stock photo that sold that's really um, been surprising to you? Like you took a random photo and like, oh, that actually sold really well. Yeah. The first one that popped into my mind was, um, I think it was like one, one or two winters ago, my daughter and I, we went to this pond that like had these ducks and we took, I took some photos of the ducks. And like, for some reason, those photos have been really popular. (laughs) I I don't know why, like who's buying photos of ducks, but yeah, it was super random. And that photo has sold multiple times. I was hoping the answer would be something pretty random. So (laughs) I'm, I'm satisfied. (laughs) Also like selfies, like I have a few like where you can see my arm holding the camera and those do pretty well as as well. (laughs) That's so funny. Yeah. Yeah. Goldmine sitting on your camera roll right now. (laughs) Yep. I guarantee you have something like that that you can upload. Uh, But yeah, you can find me as Aubrey Westland just about everywhere. My website is AubreyWestland.com. I'm Aubrey Westland on Instagram and TikTok and Facebook. So yeah, I'm pretty easy to find. Perfect. We'll definitely make sure to link those in the show notes as well as that free guide that you mentioned, which sounds really great. Perfect. Sounds great. Thank you so much for being here today. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. This is really fun. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Business Minimalist Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, I'd be so grateful if you'd rate it on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you're listening today. Your rating and review will help more small business owners discover helpful episodes each week. Don't forget to check out the show notes for the tools and resources mentioned in today's episode because good ideas don't grow businesses. Action does. And if you want more business minimalist tips and resources, head on over to Instagram and follow me at jadeboyd.co. I'd love to hear what you took away from today's episode. I'll see you next time on the Business Minimalist Podcast. The number of women burning out is at an all-time high right now, and I'm on a mission to change that. If you're a service provider who's feeling overwhelmed, overworked, and underpaid, don't let another year go by staying stuck. The Business Edit is a 12-month group coaching program that helps you declutter your business from top to bottom so that you can have shorter to-do lists, a clear strategy to scale, and know exactly what to focus on each week to drive results in your business. You'll end the year with the business that you've been dreaming of building, one that gives you your life back and pays you more than you've ever made before. In the program, you'll follow my signature five-step method for scaling your service-based business. You'll get business minimalist strategy, marketing, systems, and productivity roadmaps that are simple to understand and easy to implement, plus 12 months of customized one-on-one coaching to help you every step of the way. Join me inside the business edit at www.jadeboyd.co backslash coaching and get my step-by-step blueprint with everything you need to build your dream business in 2024. Now back to the show.